Violence breeds violence. Jedi are no peacekeepers. Better to have one planet infected than the entire galaxy. Don't lose a thousand lives just to save one. We'll only destroy what small amount of peace is left in the galaxy. That's what these men were born to do. Welcome to the Star Wars Brothers Podcast. I am Cliff Boyd, and I'm here with Drew Shepard. Your favorite spice runner. (laughs) John is not joining us today. It's just us two this time. And we are going to be talking about three arcs, four arcs, I guess you would say. The uh, Ayla Sakura duology, um, episodes 113 and 114. The um, one episode arc, Trespass. And then the Blue Shadow Virus duology, episodes 117 and 118. And the Ryloth Trilogy, episodes 119, 120, and 121. Okay, so we'll just dive right into it. Um, the, the first arc here, Ayla Sakura. Uh, Drew, what were your impressions of, of Ayla Sakura? I'll go over the synopsis here in a second. But what, what did you think about her as a Jedi? I thought she was pretty cool. Um, I, I really liked how she was definitely the antithesis of Anakin very much she seemed a lot more calm and thought out less radical not radical but rash is probably the word i'm looking for less rash and even at one time when the you know they're in battle in the very beginning and uh, anakin is injured and they're going back up to the battleship the admiral is like we can't dock during this battle why don't you know she's like we have anakin on board he's severely injured we have to get him to medical attention and um he's like are all jedi as reckless as you and she's like nope just the good one so yeah you know she that's true she definitely embraces anakin's rashness as being a positive but sure later on when they land and you know everything goes down on the planet she's definitely more calm and um, i would say less aggressive than anakin sure yeah yeah that's true uh, she was all right. She didn't really draw me in that much. I got a little bit bored with her. I didn't think she was super interesting. But um, but she did have some some variety to her, I guess. Uh, did you rate each one of these arcs? Are we going to do that this week? Yeah, let's. we can. I didn't do it okay, yet. Well, don't tell me yet. Do yeah, don't okay. tell me yet. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go over the synopsis here. So in this, uh, at the beginning, Ayla is actually um, in a ship that's, I guess, going down, and they have to go in and do an extraction mission to get her out. Uh, during that, Anakin actually sacrifices himself and is severely injured um, trying to save Ayla and his Padawan Ahsoka, and as well as some clones that they're with. So they escape, but they crash land on a planet, and on that planet are some sentient, pacifist Irish lemurs. And <laughs> that's how I took it anyway. They help them, but they do it reluctantly, so they offer their healer up. Um, who goes to uh, to help Anakin. Um, the Separatists then show up with a droid army, and they end up testing out on their planet a uh, like a napalm, sort of a napalm-like weapon. Uh, ends up that the what it does is it destroys all organic life, but it leaves machines like droids uh, completely undamaged. So the Jedis end up defending the lemurs from the test fire of this weapon, and they do it despite the protests of their leader. Uh, and they end up defeating the separatists at the end of it all. Cliff, I just want you to know, um, I, have, I have now been triggered. Um, they prefer to be called ringtailed lemurs, not just lemurs. Okay. There are other okay. lemurs out there, and they do not associate <laughs> with those same lemurs. Ringtailed lemurs. Okay. All right. All right. The ringtailed lemurs. Um, I, I'll just say... I thought they were really stupid. <laughs> I didn't like them at all. Just, just dumb. Didn't, didn't like them one bit. Um, I thought their culture was really bare bones. Uh, I thought their characterization was about as shallow as it could be uh, for what it was. It was like, let's, it, I mean, I summarized it. They, they are little lemurs, ringtail lemurs. They, <laughs> they are, uh, as a culture in general, pretty pacifist anti-war and that's about all there is to them there's just not a there's not a whole lot more depth i don't think to uh, to that culture their culture didn't have any 
interesting elements to it. They had those seed pods from the trees, you know, that they were living in. And, and then when they found their town, it wasn't like this bustling place. It was just like a bunch of these pods on the ground that they'd carved holes in and were living out of. And as advanced a species as they made them appear to be, as advanced and intelligent a species uh, as they made them appear to be, they had nothing to show for it. What were your impressions of them as a culture as a whole? It was so bare bones that literally I'm watching this and about three minutes into it, I, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I feel like I have, I've seen this, I've experienced this type of atmosphere before. What, where have I, and then it hit me. So you're at the plains, tall grasses, a tree of life carving, we're living off the land, and then the music. I'm like, I'm watching the Lion King parody here. Oh, what I'm okay. really watching. Okay. If you, it's like the Peruvian flute type of music. It's, I'm not sure if anyone's listening. It's like, that's not Peruvian flute. It, it was flute-esque type of music. And I was like, this, this is like a riff on the Lion King. You oh, know, the, okay. the tree yeah. of life carving with the, the ring-tailed lemurs and the, uh, the giant chicken ostriches and, you know, the seed pods. I'm like, this... This is so reminiscent of the Lion King right here. It's, uh-huh. It was weird, but um, I agree. The way they said that they fled from the battle, the, the battle of the separatists and um, the Republic, and they were seeking a, a peaceful world. I'm thinking, okay, you fled to this planet, but now you live in seed pods. Like, dude, I mean, could you not bring some device to actually build a, a house? Is, is this your purpose? Did they flee to the planet? Were they from a different planet? That was the impression I got. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Uh, it didn't seem to me like they were quite as advanced to, to be able to be capable of space travel. But maybe, maybe it's they flew confused. there and then, yeah. I, I got the impression that they were just pacifist in general. Uh, maybe had some connection to the outside world. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about that. For their knowledge of, of outsiders, I guess you would think that maybe they did fly in from somewhere else. Because otherwise, how would they know about this stuff? Yeah, be like, they definitely this isn't like first knowledge. contact with aliens or anything. You know? Right. This is, this is um, I don't know. I'm not but sure. They clearly know about the war because he's like, we want to know a part of your war, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I would like that a little bit better if, if they had fled and maybe just intentionally given up all comforts of life. Because having done that, you know, I don't think that makes sense in the context of the episode. Honestly, I, I just don't think, I don't think it's hardly even worth analyzing because I think it was just shallow and, yeah. and, and poorly written. So there were several things. Um, the, what was it? How they built the separatists. I laughed at this because how the separatists built that entire fort in hours. I mean, it wasn't the next day. It was, Oh, we, they've landed. And now, night dusk they've built this fort i'm like what in the world like what kind of technology you know if you have this technology why aren't you just conquering planets left and right here you know yeah um but i you know it, it did bring up and there's there one other thing i wanted to i'll get to that later but it did bring up an interesting debate within the star wars units on total and complete pacifism hmm. because i wonder if the king julian ring-tailed lemur um, that's a Madagascar reference for those of you who are not sure. Um, <laughs> um, I wonder if he actually was closer aligned to his healer son's viewpoint or if he kept his own after what he experienced. You know, that's what I didn't, another thing I didn't like at the end of it, he was just like, Oh, okay. Um, it's like, he made such a big deal about their morals. And, and then I forget exactly what he said, but, it was something like, I'm still worried about what the unintended consequences of this are going to be, but, um, you know, oh, well, I, I guess oh. it worked. Oh, I we mean, were, he shouldn't be too worried. We, I mean, we fought time, and we won, so yeah. I guess I'm not a pacifist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> like his son definitely isn't, but. Right, right. Well, they made such a big deal about it, and then it just kind of fell off, and it was like he just shrugged, and like it was like he went back on his uh, – his moral ideals at the end a little bit there was the impression that I got. So, And I didn't know if that was the writers who were just sort of like, like, Oh, we're not going to push an envelope either way. We're just going to say, yeah, yeah right. it happened, you know, and, and I get that. So yeah, it is a kid's show at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So, 
I think we got to remember that, but I don't know. I just didn't like it. Didn't like the, the didn't like the episode arc overall. The funny part that I, I didn't want to bring up here before we rate it. Yeah. I really enjoyed the moment for uh lock dirt. I thought it was the same lock dirt's speech when he Who was, was that. He was the, the separatist sci- head scientist. Okay, like the guy. commander. Yeah, the commander. Um, his speech to the droids on top of the fort mm-hmm. uh, before testing the, I have to say this right, defoliator. Um, and he's just talking to the robots. I was like, this is hysterical because he's up there saying, you know, today is a great day for us, you know, and like they're robots, <laughs> you know, right. it's, fu- it's cool and the, it's, I thought that was so funny and I thought they were intentionally funny with how they wrote it. And I was really, okay. I yeah. was happy with it because I like, they made fun of, you know, the fact that he's making this huge deal to, to the droids. Right. About, Do you really um, have to give a motivational speech? Yes, to yes exactly. <laughs> this was, it was funny to me. So, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how they read it in, intentionally. So oh, I was, I'm sure I, was happy. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about it at the time, but, but there's other moments in in this week's episodes that were kind of like that that I'll yeah. bring up when we get to them. But um, but I I love the humor that they're you know engaging in with the droids in in all of these episodes really. So mm-hmm. do you want to rate first or do you want me to rate? I'll go first here. Um, I'm going to rate this one as a, a three. Okay, I'm right there with you. Three out of ten. And why are you giving it a three? It just didn't really contribute anything. I thought, honestly, there were moments it was interesting, but to say that I'm going to remember this arc would be a lie. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like the culture. I, I was a little bit bored with uh, the Jedi, the new Jedi, Aayla Sakura. Um, you know, I guess I liked a little bit that Anakin was brave at the beginning, but but everything that they did on that planet was was pretty dull and mm-hmm. unconvincing. So yeah, three it, it started off really exciting with oh you know um when they were about to go into hyperspace and they had to right. like disengage yeah. just you know it was like wow that's gonna be really exciting and it sure wasn't <laughs> was not was not took a turn for the worst for sure okay trespass one episode 115 um so they are in in this episode they're in the the pantora system and there are some mysterious deaths of some clone troops on an ice planet there that they go in kind of assuming the separatists are responsible for, but they end up investigating um, with the only known local inhabitants of the system. Um, and I didn't, I didn't write down the name of their race, but they were sort of blue faced, uh, blue faced people, pretty advanced culture for sure. Um, anyway, they, they go in with them to investigate and discover that, they are actually being viewed as trespassers by uh, an, an, a race there that they didn't know about called the Tals. And so the Jedi and the local senator of the blue people uh, decide that they want to negotiate peace, but their chairman wants to fight back because there's been some deaths of the clones. And so he says, all right, we need to go attack. Uh, he ends up getting a lot of people killed through his stupidity and his arrogance, including himself. And then at the end, they negotiate peace with this tribe. I like the snow setting. It's a good change of, uh, change of setting coming off the um, poorly done African plane <laughs> of the previous arc. Um, the, the mouse. So one of the things about the native race, now you recognized them, right? The, the race, race of the natives, the towels. So on the moon planet, they found those, those white snow monster creatures. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize them? No, no. Well, they're from the movies. Let me see if I can, I don't know if I wrote down where they are. Um, okay. Yeah. So they're in the cantina on Moss Eisley in, in episode four. Oh, okay. They yeah, don't really do anything. I didn't connect that. But he's there. And I got the impression from this episode that this was the first discovery of the towels. And so from here, this connection that they get to the larger galaxy uh, ends up resulting in at least one of them finding his way off world, exploring the galaxy and ending up in the Mos Eisley Cantina uh, with Luke Skywalker many, many years later. So the that was pretty cool. John Boyd would love. 
Oh yeah. And he would, I'm sure he made it when he watched it, you know, I'm sure he made it, but I, I thought that was neat. I think that's the only time we see that kind of creature in the movies, but, but it's there. It was, I think probably one of George Lucas's early, early, you know, monster, not monster alien designs. So kind of neat, kind of neat. I like that. Didn't like their mounts. Their mounts seemed very gen- generic, like, like bad Pokemon, you know, yes. sort of looking. um, <laughs> I'm like, how do you eat? I couldn't quite, maybe you just suck everything through a straw or something. Oh, that's true. They didn't have mouths, did they? It was just sort of like a funnel. Weird. So. Yeah. Oh, no, no. You're talking about the towels. I'm the towels, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, did the did the mouths, no, I think the mouths had mouths. I don't know, but they kind of, the mouths that they had, you know, this kind of spiky hair back that they wrote on mm-hmm. in the battle. Wasn't a big fan of those. I wasn't a big fan of the chairman. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> Two minutes As... into this episode, I'm thinking, <clears throat> this guy is going to get on my nerves so fast. Okay. Yeah. And he did through the whole now, did episode. You like him? Did you like him like as a character, as a, as a written character? Or, or did you just dislike him? Because you're supposed to dislike him. Did you dislike him because you're supposed to dislike him? Or did you think this is poorly written? I don't. I don't think this is a good addition to this episode. I, I, I disliked him, not necessarily because he was poorly written. I think they did a good job at making him very dislikable. Okay. And they kept on coming, but I think they were a little bit, I mean, maybe that was intentional. They were very strong with making him loud, obnoxious, to the point, very, very rude when he's like, they are animals. You can't lie to an animal. Um, and they were just, so I, in the sense that the writing was good for him, but I really just disliked him a lot. So, yeah. Right. We ended up getting himself killed. Um, I thought it was interesting the way that they played the dynamic. Cause obviously I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned it in the synopsis or not, but Obi-Wan and Anakin are both here. Part of all this and um, sort of serving in that peacekeeper role. Right. Uh, they haven't really been able to be peacekeepers uh, because of the Clone Wars, as we've talked about previously. But in this episode, we have them basically trying to sort of serve as intermediaries between this conflict between these two cultures. Um, and uh, they have some limits to their authority, right? The Pantora people um, end up you know, going to war against the recommendations of Obi-Wan and the Jedi. And leading the, the clones into in, into battle somewhat. Now, the clones actually, you know what? The clones weren't going to follow those orders. They were refusing the orders to go into battle, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, so I guess the clones are still more, um, you know, tools of the Republic. But um, but they ended up getting attacked by the Tals because of the way that the, you know, the annoying guy handled the negotiations leading up to it. One of the things I did really like was, uh, when they did get attacked, the way that they handled it and said, "Okay, we got to protect, we got to protect this." Uh, he wasn't a senator; he was kind of like the president. He was the of chairman. Those people. Chairman, that's right. Okay, but kind of like the top leader of their culture, I think. Right. That was the that's impression, the impression I, got. I got. Like he's the president because he felt like their... he had so much authority over that senator. Like the senator was was beneath him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way he treated her, anyway. They get attacked, and I really liked the way that the clones handled that. They circled up their you know, their speeders and, and had sort of uh, some defensive tactics that they underwent as they were, you know, getting ambushed there by the towels. Um, and then they, they hopped in the speeders and sped away, but then they got surrounded over by the cliff face. And the way that they sort of their positioned their speeders for cover and uh, the way that, was it Cody or Rex? I think it was Rex. I didn't write it down. I think it was either Cody or Rex who was doing a lot of the leadership here. I'm pretty sure I it was Rex. It was Rex. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the way he was sort of giving hand signals to the other troops and the way that they would position themselves, you could just tell that they were a very disciplined, protocol-based, uh, and intelligent, you know, battle tactic-oriented group of <laughs> soldiers. So I like that. So let me ask you this then, because one thing that I didn't understand, I'm like, well, maybe I, I just didn't get it. Can the Jedi not intervene more when they see someone who is clearly just being psycho, ridiculous, um, 
war mongering type of attitude because they are, they, you know, they keep going back, hammering every episode. We are peacekeepers, peacekeepers. Well, clearly this guy is just declaring war on a peaceful people who want nothing less, you know, who are nothing less than just be left alone. So right. can't, is there nothing? I mean, because Obi-Wan and Anakin were very like, that's a bad idea. I wouldn't do that. And he's like, you have no authority over us. So like, but you're the peacekeepers. And mm-hmm. so I wonder, I'm like, surely you have some authority, something you can do. But then they said, no, Cinder, there's something you have to do. So I just thought that was interesting that the yeah. peacekeepers really have no power to keep the peace. Well, they had limits. They definitely have limits. I mean, episode one starts out with basically the Jedi going and, and serving the peacekeeping role with the Trade Federation versus Naboo, right? So that's the role that Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon are playing at the, at the beginning of episode one. But when they try to kill them, it's like, okay, well, now because they were attacked, it seems like then they have the authority to go and, and you know, take more drastic measures to go after the, the people responsible for attacking them. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what, what their limits are, but obviously they didn't do anything here, and they would have if they could have, I'm sure. Yeah, because, I mean, in, in my eyes, the chairman was essentially acting as the – immoral aggressor here oh yeah and they even mentioned that it was illegal that what he was doing that that a preemptive strike on a native people would be illegal but i don't know you could just see that the the jedi are not completely outside the bounds of the law and they're expected to be subject to the senate and the republic and respect the measure of their authority they're sort of they're they're sort of galactic police officers it sounds like Mm -hmm. you know police officers have limits on what they can and can't do and when they can and can do it can and can't do it so then i wondered if they actually you know because they did actually start to to go to war so say they the senator didn't intervene when she did and then you know it's just right. full out war between the the toss and the clones yeah but but the jedi knowing what they know about the chairman and how right. he was the instigator here i wonder maybe which side they take or what they're yeah it was interesting because what what they ended up doing was defending the defending the senator right everything that they did was defensive they were being attacked by the towels and so they took defensive measures but they did actually refuse to go out and attack that was what tall blue guy wanted them to do but they refused it and said no we're not going to do that yeah um we are here to protect you they even said that to him at one point hey we're here to protect you we're not we're not going to go attack and so i think if the pantorans really wanted to take aggressive measures against them they wouldn't have been able to do it with the clone troops they would have had to do it with their own their own troops so he was just out of line and he got put in his place and killed for it yep kind of a horrible death you know just, oh yeah avenge me <laughs> she's like sorry i'm not gonna avenge you <laughs> and then he dies right there like, Ugh. yeah was, that was it was, he who lives by the sword dies by it i guess all right you ready to rate it yeah um i'll go I'm, first on this one yeah i wrote down four I might be a five, but I think I'm a four. I think I'm a four. Four out of ten. A little bit better than the lemur stuff, but still had just wasn't great. Oh, man. Um, I'm still going to three. I <laughs> three, okay. I just didn't enjoy it, really. Okay. Um, it was, like you said, it was interesting to have a different world. You know, a snow world, different. Yeah. We'll explore that. But, um, yeah, it just, it just wasn't a huge draw for me with this one. Yeah. Okay. The blue... Shadow Virus Duology is next. Two episodes, 117, 118. So at the beginning of this, they're interrogating some droids on Naboo. And they are, uh, through through that interrogation, they discover the secret Wuhan Institute of Virology, where the separatists are resurrecting and weaponizing a dangerous old blue shadow virus. And so Padme and Jar Jar get captured and they are held in the lab while Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Rex go and they infiltrate that lab to try to save them and shut it down. But in the process, the virus gets released inside the lab and uh, they are forced to stay sealed inside because of it. And they begin suffering the upper respiratory effects of this blue shadow virus (laughs) and the disease that it causes. So Obi-Wan and Anakin go to uh, another system to find a cure. Anakin is obviously very focused on 
saving Padme and his Padawan Ahsoka who are trapped inside the lab. Uh, and then on this other, in this other system, they end up having to face an army of, of uh, hacked peaceful droids that little kid on the planet had hacked um, to just be his servant droids. Uh, but they're, they're technically battle droids originally. And then they face a multi-headed Venus flytrap monster and they have to escape the planet um, that is being guarded by a mysterious ghost, uh, which actually ends up being just a separatist laser grid that is meant to destroy any ship that attempts to leave the planet. Uh, they end up succeeding at the end of it, getting the anecdote, and uh, everybody's okay, except for the people that died. The clones, the, you know, the unimportant clones that yeah. died that didn't have paint on their helmets. So um, what do you think about that synopsis? That was good. And I have to say, I really liked this duology. <laughs> well, hang on. Did you catch my reference? Oh, maybe not. Wait, what'd you say? Okay, I called it the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh, no, I didn't get that. <laughs> and I said they were having upper respiratory issues from this virus. Well, they were sort of. They were some coughing. <laughs> it's not the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, we're, we are coming off of lockdown from this coronavirus. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, this coronavirus obviously originated in Wuhan and there's been all these people with these theories about how it might be related to the Wuhan Institute of Virology that's there. I don't know what to make it out of any of it, but I just kept thinking about current events while I was watching this episode. It's hard not um, to. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a virus and it was, here's what happens if the virus gets out and it's being created for war purposes. And uh, I don't think that's what happened in, you know, I don't think that's what's happening now, <laughs> but some people do. So I thought, oh, yeah. to mention it. but you didn't get my joke. So it fell flat. Thanks. Drew. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now that you say it, I remember you said that, but I was just, it just didn't click. I was like, Oh, was it called that? I didn't catch that. In no, the show, but all right. I don't know if they gave it a name. It's just a secret lab underground. It is just my laboratory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Got excited at the beginning of this one because Jar Jar Binks is flying in. I was pumped about him, you know, being some more comic relief for us and didn't like him in this. I don't have a lot to say about him. He just wasn't, he wasn't very funny in this episode. Still was, still was a, you know, an oaf and uh, did more harm than good, but, but just wasn't funny like he was in some of the previous arcs where he was used yeah but he did give a critical hint which led them to you know the right place so what was that uh that bug he was after they're only found in a certain uh, true. place yeah. with the trees and so accidentally uh, yeah. hinted at where the lab was sure but i like i said i really actually liked this duology i thought okay. it was good there was a lot of fun things that um went with it i mean it, again like you mentioned it is relevant to, to us sort of with where we are time-wise right now but i like the diversity in it you know there is definitely naboo the virus the lab seems but then there's also the iego planet and everything that goes on there and that was action-packed but the the biggest negative was i just felt the second episode mystery of the thousand moons yeah uh, of the duology i just felt that episode was rushed. I would have mm-hmm. loved to see maybe another episode come out of that. But I mean, in just one episode, um, you get people infected, you find an antidote, you find the planet it's on, you find monsters, the space lasers, a plea for help from Padme, the council meeting, they made a plan, they beat the lasers, they made it back, they made a vaccine, giant Venus flytrap monster. I mean, there was just so many like yeah, right. cool things in here. I was like, you could have, I mean, you could have made almost half an episode with them just fighting the Venus flytrap monster, and I would have loved that. <laughs> sure, but it was all very rushed, just one yeah. thing after another, back to back to back. Right. That's true. So, I mean, I enjoyed it because there was so many different things to it. It was fun to me. I just honestly wish they had made it maybe three episodes instead of, or okay. maybe two instead of just one. Okay. All right. I was less enthusiastic about the arc as a whole. I did like Naboo. I liked being on Naboo at the beginning of it. And something I something I thought about a lot of the planets that we visit in the Clone Wars cartoon are very one dimensional. Like this is the planet that has, you know, darkness and caves, 
And then this is the planet that has snow and cliffs. And then this is the planet that has grassy plains and stupid lemurs. Uh, and, and the planets don't have much depth or diversity to there. At least you don't see that. And I don't get the impression that it's even intended to be there. Whereas with Naboo, you've got the swamp area, you've got the city area, you've got the grasslands, you've got maybe a little bit more diversity to the planet as a whole that makes it a little bit more convincing. And that might just be a problem with Star Wars as a whole that a lot of their planets are, this is the fire planet and this is the desert planet. And this is the, you know, cause Jakku's a desert planet and Tatooine's a desert planet. And Mustafar is like a lava hot planet. And there's not, you know, like earth, earth is incredibly diverse. You have all that stuff on earth, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? On one planet. So I just feel like most of the planets in the Star Wars universe, at least that we've been exposed to, don't have a lot of diversity to them within themselves. You have galactic diversity. Giant city. I mean, right. The whole the whole planet's one big city, and so it's just there's not uh, not variety. But Naboo has a little bit more variety than most. I think. I want to know why do mad scientists always have a crazy accent? Oh, I didn't like that guy. (laughs) He was completely uninteresting uh, to me, at least. And I don't know. I just didn't like him. I mean, he, he served his purpose, but I definitely did not take any stock in him. Of like, Yeah, oh, okay. I hope we never see him again. You know, we get through episodes, and, and I think back, and I'm like, yeah, I hope, I hope we never see that guy again. And there were actually several of those, this arc, that I'm like, I hope we never see that guy again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but you do get to see a few moments that were, I guess, caused by him yep. that are almost breadcrumbs to support Padme is Anakin's weakness. And we, like, like mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. we know what yeah. the end is. So we know that she is his ultimate weakness. Um, right. And so, you know, just another several, there was two or three in here, you know, the one where he told the guards, put your weapons down. He chose to save Padme instead of chasing the doctor. And then um, there's another time, uh, you know, when he's getting really feisty, you know, in Naboo, the, uh, the hangar trying to get out, really fast and Obi-Wan's just like, calm down Anakin. So, I mean, yeah. you definitely get to see the buildup of, you know, what we know is going to be the end result, but you get more of the buildup, more of the story. And so I did enjoy that. Sure. I thought about that, but it didn't seem extreme to me. I mean, if it was my wife, that's who I'd be focused on. You know what I mean? That would yes, be my but motivation you're not a Jedi. for finding the cure. <laughs> Yeah, but still, that's. I think that's. I think his reaction was about what anybody's reaction would be. It wasn't an extreme reaction. Definitely showed that he cared about her because he didn't talk about everybody in there. He talked about Padme and he talked about Ahsoka because they're the ones he's closest to. You know, mm-hmm. obviously he's not very close to Jar Jar. Never mentioned Jar Jar, but <laughs> <laughs> so there was a there was a lot I didn't like about this arc. There was a lot, that, a lot that I thought was just dumb. Dumb looking, dumb feeling. I thought their spacesuits were real dumb. The yellow spacesuits, just stupid, stupid looking. I didn't like the scientists. I already mentioned that. When, when they visited that other planet where they, they had to get the root for the cure, for the anecdote, that kid who had reprogrammed all the droids, just really stupid looking. <laughs> I didn't like his behavior. I didn't like his appearance. He reminded me, Drew, of like a cheap, generic, bad RPG protagonist, like that you might play on a on a dumb phone <laughs> game or something. Just as generic and unbelievable and stiff mm-hmm. as they come. Didn't like him at all. I liked the the concept of this character that there's this genius kid who's reprogrammed all these droids, but this the way that they implemented it in, in him. It's really stupid. And I wish we'd seen more of those droids. You know, we saw them right at the beginning. And mm-hmm. goes in and kills a bunch of them. And then they come to find out they're all reprogrammed. They never did anything with it, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and that could have been really neat. They could have done a lot of really funny, fun stuff with these reprogrammed uh, nonviolent servant droids. <laughs> Battle droid turned servant droids. And there was just never really anything fun done with them. Uh, but I like how like one of them had his head turned on, turned on backwards and he yeah. had a face painted on it. Anyway, what they were all, you know, they all had their faces painted or something painted yeah. on them. And so that was right, a little yeah. fun to see. And the vulture droids, how they made like a rocking hammock for, for the kid. Sure. That's true. That's cool. I liked that uh, stuff. So that was okay. But I didn't like that kid at all. 
Yeah. And there was a Spice Convoys reference, if you caught that, too. No, I didn't. Yeah. I think it was from the old senile guy who was like, what was the, the guy named Droll, I think? He's like, Mueller of Droll, you know. Um, he made some sort of Spice Convoy reference, I think. It was okay. either him or during the, the meeting with the other people uh, from the planet when they were, and again, and Obi-Wan were going over their plans. It was made okay. like, ah, uh-huh, Spice. Hmm. I didn't catch that. Uh, that reminds me, though, I'm glad you mentioned that because we did get a message um, that I need to, that I'll bring up after we finish discussing this arc. Um, I'll read it. We got a message from somebody, one of our listeners that I will, uh, I'll read on this, on this podcast here in just a second. Did you notice when they were leaving? So they had this ghost of drawl thing um, that was supposedly destroying all the ships that tried to leave the planet. It made all the locals think that there was a ghost up there. I don't know why they thought ghost. It was like the sky lit up in very particular ang- angular patterns. Um, ended up being, again, that separatist laser grid that was just meant to basically block ships from leaving. First of all, didn't seem like it would be that hard to navigate through it. But the thing I did think was neat about it is the, the place where the, where the initial laser was shot from looked like a Death Star disc. Did you notice that? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I thought that was kind of neat. That. Um, that maybe they were kind of testing out some technology as they were working on this Death Star um, in, in the early stages or something, technology that eventually developed into Death Star technology. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That's about all I have to say about it. Um, you ready to rate the arc? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I went first last time. You go ahead. I'm going to give it a four just because I really did like the second episode a lot. Um, the first oh, okay. episode, not so much, but um, I thought there was a lot of fun adventure, you know, like with the Venus flytrap monster. Four's then, pretty bad. <laughs> well, honestly, well, compared to the other two, I mean, it's an improvement over okay, uh, what a little the bit two. better than the other two. A bit better right. than the other two. So. All right. I can mostly go with you there. I also gave it a four. But mostly, mostly because I disliked it. I mean, for me to like an episode, it's if I like an episode, it's getting a six at least. If I don't really like it, if I'm like I'm disliked more than I liked, it's five or below. So. It was just so rushed the second part, and I was like, they could have done so much more. And I mean, it, there were just a couple of things. I was like, no, it's, they really need to be longer than this. More explanation. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Let me uh, let me pull up our our message here that we got. Again, if you want to contact the Star Wars Brothers podcast, you can do it by emailing us at starwarsbrothers at gmail.com, and we'll read your comments on the episode. All right, so this is from a listener named Brian. (laughs) We know Brian. It's actually not even an email. He sent me a text after he listened to this. Uh, Here's what Brian says. Spice. Yes, it's drugs run by the Crimson Dawn Crime Syndicate from the planet Kessel. Han did run Spice for Jabba. It isn't a currency, just a valuable commodity. You guys are so fun to listen to. So thanks, Brian, for that, for that correction. I, I meant to start the episode off with that, but I forgot. I'm glad you mentioned Spice because that reminded me that he had sent me that, that text there. <laughs> All right. You ready for the next arc? I am. Our final arc for this week was, in my opinion, by far the best. I agree. The Ryloth Trilogy, 119, 120, and 121. So we get another planet that is blockaded and suffering. We've seen something like this before, but this time it's the planet Ryloth. Ahsoka leads her first troops into battle, and they are outnumbered. So she loses half the fleet. Anakin orders a retreat. They regroup, and then he decides that he's going to Uh, crash one of his remaining Star Destroyers into their command ship. So he clears all the troops out, moves them all to their, I guess they have two two ships left. He moves them all to one ship, and then he pilots the other ship and crashes it into the command ship. Then ends up ejecting, and Ahsoka and the clones um, end up going into battle using Ahsoka's plan to sort of come in at an angle where the bombers that are coming out of the Star Destroyer are, are blocked from the, the brunt of the, the initial fire, and the Star Destroyer is able to take most of that. Enables them to flank the enemies, and they are successful. They win a victory against this blockade. 
the next episode involves Obi-Wan and Mace Windu trying to proceed to the surface. But first, Obi-Wan has to deploy and lead some clones to take out the anti-aircraft guns and free some of the local Twi'leks in the process. The Twi'leks we have seen in Star Wars universe before. They are the ones that have the great big, uh, I think we maybe we first see them in Jabba the Hutt's palace dancing for him, right? Um, and they have these great big sort of pointy blue, or I guess whatever the color, there's various, various colors of Twi'lek. They're not all blue. <laughs> but they've got these big, I don't know what to call them, big blobs of skin <laughs> that come out of their heads, kind of like horns, but, what, but it's just... What, what was the reference? Like skin. One of the clones called them tail heads, was that? Tail heads, yeah, that's that's kind of what it looks like. That's a good way to describe it. Anyway, they have to free some of them. Uh, and then at the in the last episode, Mace Windu ends up going in and leading the assault to take back the planet's capital. And he has to wade through some political conflict initially to enlist the help of some local freedom fighters. And then when the separatists realize toward the end of it that they're about to lose, they change tactics. And, and instead of trying to win the day, they just decide they're going to destroy as much as possible with the bombers that they have in, in the city itself, um, according to Dooku, so that the galaxy learns the cost of a Republic victory. Right. And um, while Anakin and Ahsoka are flying fighters to try to take out the bombers that are attacking the city, and going to destroy the, the capital, Mace Windu leads the ground assault, and they all end up winning the day together. So why did you like this art, Drew? Well, I like how it like tied in to what we had already seen previously with, um, I think it was week one or two, I'm not sure, but when we were already on Ryloth, and we saw how, um, you know, that one Jedi, I forget his name, gave, you know, gave his life so that the Twi'leks could run and escape and they were able to drop some supplies for them. And it just sort of was left there. So I did like how we actually, you know, picked up with that. Oh, okay. They managed to get the supplies and, but whatever happened, well, now we know sort of the, the rest of the story and what picked up from there. So that was one thing that I did like, I didn't recognize that immediately, but like, oh yeah, this was that, this was that part, you know, when, from week one or week two, but I thought it was fun with especially the first episode watching the the ships and just how they were using them, the strategy behind it, seeing Ahsoka's recklessness, but how she learned from it, how she became better, how she's Anakin's shadow through and through. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, the strategy involved, like with hiding the Y-wings, like you said, and then coming out, being able to bomb them. Anakin using the kamikaze, but not really kamikaze to destroy the command ship and the escape pod. One quote I really did like from Obi-Wan when he emerged um, from the hyperspace was, he's like, I won't even ask why Anakin's in an escape pod. <laughs> like, I won't <laughs> yeah. even ask. So right. there were just, you know, there's was a lot of action adventure strategy, especially the first episode, the space. And so, yeah. Cool. Uh, so I have some questions about that first episode. A couple things came up that John's always really good at creating a good headcanon, you know, or here's how we can make this make sense. So we may need him. We may need him for this, but I'll see if, see if we can figure it out. How do you blockade a planet? Planets are big. You can come at them from any angle, any direction. How in the world do you create a successful blockade of a planet? Maybe in the sense that there are certain uh trails you know his historically geographically there are certain ways to get from point a to b um, the silk road for example traders used to take there used to be one way in one way out basically so um maybe the separatist figure hey the only planet that would give imports or exports to this planet is in that direction so if anyone is going to be coming to this planet It'll be from that direction. But okay. also, I guess that makes sense. You would figure they would have the technology to say, okay, um, they would have some sort of detection measures where right. they say, oh, if something's coming, then, I mean, because again, the planets are rotating. So, and there, I'm assuming on the outer edge of the planet enough to where they're not being sucked into the planet's orbit, in which case they could you know, go the opposite direction that the planet is rotating and be on the other side of the planet. And I don't know how fast, but quickly 
and intercept anyone who might be coming from a different angle. I guess guess that makes sense. I, I get the impression that planets in the Star Wars universe are just a lot smaller than, than Earth is. Because you know, if you have a spaceship over Earth, even a spaceship in orbit, I mean, it's tiny compared to this huge planet underneath. I don't know. I just I, The whole episode, I just started thinking about, like, wait a minute. Why don't they just not go through the blockade, just go around it? But maybe it's, I guess, yeah, I guess there's but something logistically that it doesn't make sense. Ships are so much bigger in the Star Wars universe because if we go back and That's remember last week, the malevolence, malevolent, that yeah, ship. Right. I mean, it was like a huge city. You had to take trams to get from one part to the next. And so, okay. All right. I remember yeah. the star destroyers were like firing out. They're like, we're firing, but it's just so big. We just can't take it down. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. And they were going up against a command ship, which is massive. All right. Yeah. Uh, Ahsoka is a 14 year old. Why is she being put in command of experienced clone troops? I agree with you there. I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> like do, did Jedi go through all kind of command training? I guess they must, but um, man, I don't know. And you could even see it from the clones. The clones were like, I mean, maybe if Anakin were here, but because we have to follow Ahsoka, this 14 year old kid that we have to take orders from didn't make a lot of sense to me that she was being put in charge, but I guess she's been with Anakin for a while, and she's 14. <laughs> she's got some experience now, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's she's quite the soldier. I get using her in like a one-on-one scenario, right? I mean, she is still 14, so this is kind of a lot child child labor type deal as well. <laughs> they, they, think about it. They put them into the, to the active, you know, battles when they're 14 years old. That's crazy. 13, 14, these Padawans getting assigned to their masters and going off on these crazy dangerous missions. Maybe, maybe she is one who really excels. Maybe that's why she was assigned to Anakin because they know that in order to be able to be trained under him, Yoda knows that we got to have somebody that knows what she's doing or, you know, he'll get her killed. I don't know. Just thought it was a little weird that she was being put in charge the way that she was. But Cliff, remember they're just clones. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. If you're listening to this for the first time, this is a longstanding theme we've talked about. That's right. Okay, Uh, that second episode, I really liked. I really liked it uh, too. I liked Obi Wan leading those troops in, taking out the any aircraft guns. I did think there were some stiff animations, but one thing I really liked was seeing the troops interact, especially the Waxer and Boyle team up as they were going through and talking to each other and interacting, and they had some differences and in their approach to different situations. You got to see them show some compassion to the little girl that they found. Uh, you, you even got to see a little bit of their humanity because there was one point where they were worried about getting in trouble for taking so long. And they started talking about like, maybe, maybe we should lie about it. Yeah. <laughs> what if we said this happened? Um, and, and normally I think of a clone as like a very, you know, sort of cookie cutter robotic, I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking that less and less as we watch through, but I liked that we saw in this one that they have personality and the capability of lying differences and, you know, how they should approach different situations. They, they, they have differences of opinions. Uh, they have compassion, just some depth. I thought that was interesting with the clones that we got to see in this episode. Yeah. What you said with humanity, that's, that's it. That's the word that I was thinking when they found a little girl, that's, um, you know, because they are not droids. Droids, as we've seen through many Star Wars, just clearly do not care, just shoot. Um, whereas the clones actually, like, you disobeyed orders to save this child. Um, and so, yes, they are very much programmed to follow orders and commands, but they have more of an ability to have free will, unlike the droids, which could be a downfall. You know, that's has its pros and cons right there because droids will follow your orders no matter what, but the clones may or may not, which may come back to bite the Jedi at some point. So, I mean. Yeah. Anything else about that second episode before we move on to the third? No, I like, let's, let's go. I like the third. Third, man, this was the highlight of it all. This was mm-hmm. the peak of everything that we watched this week. I think we had some low points, threes and fours. And then this episode just kept getting, or this arc kept getting better and better and better the longer that it went on. Um, 
what did you think about Mace Windu? So first thing, Mace Windu, Mace Windu is Samuel L. Jackson. They have made <laughs> him right. yeah. so intentionally That's right. to be Samuel L. Whereas, Jackson. Whereas Anakin is not Hayden Christensen no, anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we moved past that. And same Obi-Wan's thing with, kind of Ewan McGregor. Um, yeah. I think they've got some good parallel there, but but I and don't Padme, see him. Thank Padme, Natalie Portman, completely, still, completely. Yeah, um, sort of. But I, again, I think they took a lot of the character that Padme brought into or that um, Natalie Portman brought into Padme with her performance. I still didn't love her in this, in this, in this arc, but no, I, I didn't love her. In this but you're arc. right about Mace Windu. Yeah. It's, it's so cool to see him and he's, he's a blast to watch. Um, just seeing, you know, how he snuck onto the transport uh, ship and went through the holographic bridge and then, you know, levitated the the clones to bring him to safety. Just, it was just, yeah. Like, he is yeah. awesome, man. He you was. Know, just, it was a blast to watch him just work and, you know, do everything that they did. I liked his demeanor, his confident leadership, uh, the way that, like you said, the way that he used the force when the bridge was. So what had happened is he goes into this uh, sort of Trojan horses inside of this, inside of this droid transport. Right. And then as it crosses this light bridge, so the light bridge is set up to where it'll disappear. And that's how they, you know, huge gap that surrounds where the Capitol building is. And the only way onto it is this light bridge. So they have to cross the light bridge to invade the Capitol where the commander of the droid forces, uh, where their hub is. And the droids, all they have to do is pull the lever to turn that light bridge off. And then everything that's on it would fall to the depths below. And so Mace Windu sneaks on, they get about halfway through, but then they scan it and they realize that something seems up. They open the back and Mace Windu comes out. He uses the force to fling two of the clones across the bridge as it disappears. And then he ends up running up the falling uh, droids, jumps up and grabs like this droid on uh, and, and throws him off of this speeder thing and then ends up like jumping to safety and just awesome. It was awesome. Um, fun. I loved the way that he, after he did that, he was taking out droids and tanks left and right. I mean, he could do a big force blast and take out like seven of them at once. And then a tank comes toward, starts coming toward him, a tank, uh, droid tank, you know, these things are powerful and they cause problems and he just picks up a big door and throws it on it to destroy it. Uh, just thought, Samuel L. Jackson's performance was great there. <laughs> and it shows it how much. It a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And the one thing I took away from it, it shows how much power they're giving to um, Mace Windu. And yeah. previously we talked about with Yoda too. I mean, right. we, we truly right. acknowledge Anakin, Obi-Wan, their ability, their skill. But with this episode with Mace Windu, they showed how he is really in a, a class above um the others and i forget what again i forget what it's like the master of the order or something the role that yoda is playing he's like the head of the jedi council right now uh that was actually mace windu before it was yoda and mace windu at the beginning of the clone war or right before it or something ended up giving up his position um to serve a more active role in leading troops whereas yoda took over the master of the order role but that was mace windu willingly stepping down and giving it to Yoda. So yeah, he is the most powerful respected Jedi mm-hmm. uh, of the order. Um right up there with Yoda, you know. Very cool. Very cool. He was a ton of fun to watch. I like the Walker units. What do you think about those? The like the AT Yeah, they kind of look like AT AT ATSTs. Yeah. Chicken walkers, but they were they were small enough for one soldier to fit in and run across the battlefield. That's cool to watch. Yeah, I did. I we have never seen those before, have we? I don't think so. Uh, they seem new to me. And then the blurgs. I think we did see blurgs in a previous episode, but the blurs were really used in this episode a lot. So you had the big, um, the battle at the end where the the chicken walker robot units and the blurgs uh, rushed into battle together. We've seen blurgs from the Mandalorian, right? This was before the Mandalorian, so the Mandalorian was actually using the blurbs that I guess originally appeared in the Clone Wars episodes. Oh, okay. Kind of cool. Is that the, t- yeah, yeah, it is a timeline without woodwork. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, even just in the production is really what I mean. Oh, okay. 
because they conceived of the Blurgs for the Clone Wars cartoon. And then when the director or whoever was writing or producing the Mandalorian decided, Hey, we need a creature. Let's use Blurgs. They were already an established creature in the Star Wars universe. So I can see how if you were into the Clone Wars and then watch the Mandalorian, how that would be a really cool callback yeah. to, to stuff you had already seen before. I want to get your take on um, Tambor. What did you think of his action? Tambor was the general? Yeah. Okay. Which, which actions in particular? Uh, specifically the third episode, how yeah. he's going against Dooku and the tactical droid. I didn't have any really particular impressions. I, I mean, I went away from thinking, golly, like you are stupid, dude. <laughs> I okay. mean, as yeah, not, not, and again, not the writing, but the, the character in the sense that the, the tactical droid is tattling on you to Dooku for not doing what Dooku yeah. wants you to do. Right. Dooku's a Sith. Okay. So we, you know, you know how he's going to interact. You're the separatist. You know how you sort of deal business. And then the third time, you know, Duke, who's like, what are you doing? Like, like, dude, you're going to get yourself killed by your own team here. Um, sure. Much less um, because Duke is not someone you want to mess around with. So, but you did mention er- it earlier about it. And Duke sort of scorched earth comment uh, that he made, you know, from a Republic victory, you know, this, they'll see the cost, the true cost of a yeah, Republic victory. Right. Um, but really, just because Tambor refuses, I mean, yeah. I guess his well, Tambor, is and, and you even downfall. see it from the other droid. The other droid just leaves him behind. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't have to. He was right behind him. He could have waited two seconds and, and allowed Tambor to escape with him. But he's just like, forget it. I'm going to just tell. It's like the droid made the decision to abandon him and then to tell Dooku <laughs> something that wasn't completely true, that he wouldn't retreat on time, you know? It's like mm-hmm. that droid was fed up with him. Like, I do not want to deal with this guy anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to let him die back there. And, and they made a comment, actually. Some of the uh, lackey droids um, made a, you know, just the regular battle droids made an interesting comment about, uh, with actually a few things. Right at the beginning of the episode, there was a really funny thing that they said where they were losing one of the battles and, and they were contemplating surrender. Like, ah, should we surrender? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, no, you're a droid. You don't like, what would that even mean? You know, you, you don't have a life. <laughs> and I guess droids are more significant than just a robot in, in our culture. But still, it's just, you know, I thought that was funny. Um, the irony of a droid contemplating whether or not they should surrender. But uh, there were a couple of them that were walking, walking along and they found a dead droid and they picked up his head and they made a comment that, oh, this is one of the droids that was programmed by a central computer. So no wonder he died. He was one of the early models that was programmed by a central computer, whereas we're independent thinkers. So it gave us maybe a little bit of insight into different tiers of even the battle droids, that the later battle droids would become more and more advanced as they produced them and developed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, we're able to think them for themselves to some extent, which explains a lot of their goofy behavior. So do you think the central computer is what they used in episode one on the battle for Naboo? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe those were some of the early droid iterations. I'm not sure. Anything else in this arc? No, I I liked it. It was fun. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And I was down going into it uh, because the previous three arcs, I thought this is none of these are good. This is going to be a bad week. And then this happened and we got to see Mace Windu kick some butt. All right, let's uh, rank it. I'll go ahead and start on this one. I... Um, I'm going to give this a seven out of 10, seven out of 10. I liked it, but still can see some ways that this franchise needs to improve its quality. There were some quality issues, um, in the animation, uh, in the depth character depth that, that I still think need to need to be addressed. Okay. Liked it overall. That's fair. Mace Windu. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Um, I loved the diversity from the space battles to seeing Obi-Wan free the, free the captives and slaves. And then Mace Windu was the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. So uh, seeing that battle, seeing him work and it, it was fun to me to just see such a variety of Jedi 
in these three episodes from Ahsoka, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Mace Wind, and just really yeah, um, right. see how they all worked, you know, the different strategies, the different mindsets, the different levels of yeah. um, intelligence, but maturity too. So I really enjoyed a lot that was uh, brought to these three. Sure, that's true. It was sort of a progression of Anakin and Ahsoka, and then Obi-Wan, and then Mace Windu-centric episodes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. Cool to see him juxtaposed like that. All right. If you want to contact us and have your email read um, live, <laughs> I guess not live because these are pre-recorded, but um, have, our, have your email read during our next episode, you can email us at Star Wars Brothers Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, We would love it if you would leave us a good review on iTunes. Uh, And then I actually need to go over the episodes that we're going to watch for next week. It's a little bit shorter week next week. Uh, Six episodes total. We're going to watch the Holocron Trilogy. Episodes 201, 202, and 203. Holocron Heist, Cargo of Doom, and Children of the Force. Then we'll watch a one, one-off episode, Bounty Hunters, number 217. And then we're going to watch the Zillow Beast duology, uh, 218, the Zillow Beast. And then 219, the Zillow Beast strikes back. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're getting looking creative forward to that. the titles. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Yummy. And with that statement right there, we just lost whatever listener we had.